Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path you set before us. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel and let you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. So Memorial Day, here we are, typically the kickoff of summer. Uh, We've got a few more weeks of school to go, I think. Uh, For me, summertime signals lots of things uh, that happen in my life, and one of those things is uh, the NBA playoffs. Now, I know that's kind of crazy for a lot of people. Uh, NBA is probably not one of the bigger sports to be watched, but I still am pretty hooked on it. Uh, You see, I really like the LA Lakers. I know, I know, it's bad. But you have to know this about me, that I moved to Los Angeles in the summer of 1989, That would have been when the Lakers were going for their third championship in a row, the coveted three-peat. They were so assured that they were going to win that three-peat that they trademarked that name. The town was electric, and it really was an exciting time to be uh, on the West Coast uh, when the Lakers were winning and all that was going on, and it stuck with me all these years. Now, a key figure in those glory days of pro basketball was the coach, the Lakers coach, Pat Riley. Uh, Pat in his career won five NBA championships and he's currently the president of the Miami Heat organization. Pat wrote several books and one of the books that I, I, I read and I really liked is called The Winner Within, A Life Plan for Team Players. Riley described that the first question he asked every member of a team that when he was brought on as the head coach, he would sit down with each individual player and talk to them. It would be one of the first things that he would do, and he would ask them this simple question, are you in or are you out? And then he would explain, there are only two options regarding your commitment to this team. You're either in or you're out. There's no such thing as a life in between. You're either in or you're out. This was Riley's signal to the players that they had better get on board with that team or they were out and off to another team. He only wanted to have people around him, as they say here in some parts of South Carolina, that are all in. So if you think about that simple question, are you in or are you out, it's maybe a little more complex than we think. Now as a culture, we always want to be in. We want to be in everything. And social media and advertisers will tell us almost uh, 24-7, 365, that we can be in everything. We don't have to have a commitment to it. We don't have to be tied to it. We don't even have to pay for it now. We can pay for it later. We don't even have to sign a contract. But of course, we certainly don't want to be left out. But if you think about Riley's quote, what he's asking about uh, is commitment. Now, the things that we actually are committed to should be really small and limited. 
Things that come to my mind are obviously my faith, my family, and a few friends. But we humans can find ourselves committed to way too many things. In our New Testament reading today, we meet a man that's struggling with his commitment. He's torn between the lightness and the dark, between being in and out. Nicodemus is well known to most of us. We've heard his story in vacation Bible school lessons. We've heard him in Sunday school lessons. And we've heard him from a pulpit, including this pulpit, many, many times. We have heard so much about Nicodemus, we might think he's an old friend. We also might think that we know this story very well. I wonder, do we? We know from verse 1 in our reading a few important things about Nicodemus, but we're not really told where this story takes place. We know only that Jesus is in Jerusalem during the Passover, John doesn't really introduce us to Nicodemus. He just kind of appears in the night. We're only told that he's a Pharisee, which means um, that he believes in strict obeying of the Jewish law. And maybe you could say that Pharisees were generally known to be a bit pretentious. And he's also a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was a supreme council over the Jews at that time that uh, really passed judgment and controlled religious life, civil life, and even had criminal jurisdiction over Jerusalem and all its inhabitants. So Nicodemus just wasn't your random person walking off the street. He was a man of means, of influence, of power. In their brief conversation that night, Jesus tells Nicodemus some things that he really doesn't want to hear that one must be born anew in order to see the kingdom of God. And the last we hear from Nicodemus himself is a very bewildered, how can this be? Best we can tell, Jesus' last words to him are, those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Maybe what Jesus is trying to tell this nighttime visitor is that if you're truly my disciple, then start acting like one. Instead of lurking around on the edges, playing one role in the day and another at at night, be my disciple. Nicodemus is the one who comes to Jesus in the night. He hovers on the margins and the edges and the shadows My theology professor at Columbia, Dr. George Straup, said this of Nicodemus, He is certainly not the first in the church, nor will he be the last to follow Jesus from afar. There is no doubt it will be difficult, perhaps even dangerous, for Nicodemus to follow Jesus publicly during that bright sunshine of day. Nicodemus was, after all, someone who was part of the Jewish establishment, for whom Jesus seemed to be a little bit of a nuisance, and later on would become a major political problem and even a threat. Nicodemus had to be cautious and to exercise discretion. He was the forerunner of many of Jesus' disciples who have had to be careful about when and where they practiced their discipleship. In his letter to the 
to the churches in Asia a couple of decades after this nighttime encounter, John of Patmos warned the fledgling churches to be aware of Nicolotians, Christians who were willing to offer worship to pagan and Roman gods in order to remain unnoticed in the culture, and maybe just to get along and be tolerated by their non-Christian neighbors. In the 16th century, the reformer and founder of Presbyterianism, John Calvin, referred to those who sympathized with the movement to reform the church, but who were reluctant to do so publicly. He referred to them as Nicodemites. So Nicodemus didn't disappear into the night after all. Nicodemus has been with us a really long time. And he's still with us today. In our lesson today, believing and doing are inseparable. Nicodemus lives in the darkness and the shadow just off the edges of Jesus' bright and burning light until after Jesus is crucified, when he emerges publicly with Joseph of Arimathea, who is also a secret disciple, to bury Jesus. Nicodemus has decided not to just stay outside, not just to stay outside the circle lurking in those shadows, but to step out publicly in the light. And we can only imagine that his reputation probably suffered for that. Nicodemus had thought he was really in. He was a leader in his church and his community. I'm sure people in Jerusalem marveled at Nicodemus and his family when they walked down the street to go to the market or to go to temple. They wore the finest clothes and they had the latest model of chariot. I'm sure their house was in the right neighborhood and they had the right neighbors. Nicodemus probably sat in prominent positions at banquets and he made sure that everyone knew he was a generous giver. But Jesus dashes all that to the ground, telling Nicodemus that he is not really in at all, not even close. He's out, out in the dark of life and faith. This struggle of in and out is most evident to me when Jesus points directly at Nicodemus's heart with this question. You are Israel's teacher and do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept my testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. Think for a moment about the people that you know and respect someone who is really committed to their faith and their love for Christ. Listen to their words. What do they talk about? If they're on social media, what does their digital presence say about them? What do they practice in their life that expresses their faith? Is their life particularly charmed? Usually not, but they speak and do what is good, what is pleasing to God. 
That is true of us as well. We speak to what we know and what we have seen. For the last several weeks, I've been talking about the importance of us as individuals and as a collective church family, of our testimony, of the words that we use, of the actions we take, that our words and actions are a testimony to our faith for others in our church family, for those in our local community, in the world around us that sees us through our actions of faith, that our words and our actions testify to the living Christ or not. Just this morning, we as a congregation made a public testimony before God in the sacred ceremony of baptism. We agreed as a body to guide and nurture Ryan Lee Sneed by word and deed with love and prayer to encourage her to know Christ and to follow him. It's the same promise that was made to us at our baptism, and it is the same promise that we have made to every child of this church. But making a promise like that is pretty easy. The hard part is living it. How do we live out our commitment to Christ, to Christ's church, day in and day out, so that our lives are instruments, not only to ourselves, but to others, to know Christ and to make Christ known in the world? If we're honest with ourselves, at times it can be a struggle. How can we talk about God so loved the world when we're faced with a daily deluge of war and devastation, political unrest, poverty, personal destruction, destructive behaviors by some of our loved ones. How many of us compartmentalize our faith to keep it behind closed doors and private from the world that might not welcome our faith? How many of us might be 21st century Nicodemuses? It's certainly a slippery slope. But the good news, my friends, the good news of this text is God is prepared, even eager, to do the hard and messy work to bring us into God's kingdom, a place that is welcome for all and willing to bring us to a mature faith and new life in Christ, a life that is lived in the bright sunlight of God's redeeming grace and mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.